we often, I think we often find poetry, we often find parable, we often find metaphor throughout scripture. And a metaphor uh, that I'm kind of interested in exploring a little bit tonight is the metaphor of the door. You know, the door that we go through. And um, Mina read Revelation 3.20, which says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Uh, the book of Isaiah talks about doors. It talks about uh, doors that uh, God shuts and no one can open and doors that God opens and no one can shut. And so the door, I think, is, is essentially a metaphor for opportunity. It's a metaphor for a, a pathway or a gateway, uh, an open opportunity or a closed opportunity, uh, something that opens to uh, people or a path um, that requires something of us, that could significantly impact the course of our life. And we don't always know what's beyond that door. Um, we don't know where it will lead. And so to take that step, to, to walk through or to try the metaphorical door and walk through it uh, or allow someone to come through that door can be quite significant for our lives. And uh, in Acts chapter 12, which is what I'm going to explore briefly tonight, uh, we read this fascinating series of events that involves a few doors and gates and God apparently opening some doors but not other doors. And so at the beginning of Acts chapter 12, um, we read that the early Christians are being uh, horrifically persecuted by King Herod. James, a disciple of Jesus, has been put to death. He's been decapitated, no less. And Peter, uh, another disciple of Jesus, has also been imprisoned. And we read that he's uh, chained between two prison guards. And... Uh, the whole prison is, is packed with guards. There's guards at each kind of key post. There's something like 16 guards. We think historically is, is how heavily kind of guarded this place was. And then we read that suddenly an angel of the Lord appears and wakes Peter up and says, quick, get up. And the chains fall off Peter's wrists. And the angel says, get dressed and follow me. And so Peter follows this angel out of the prison but he essentially thinks he's dreaming. He thinks he's having uh, some kind of vision and he doesn't actually realize that this is happening. And the first set of prison doors open, seemingly by themselves. They pass the first and second group of guards and they come to the big set of iron gates uh, at the entrance to the prison, which essentially leads out to the city. And uh, the, the gates just open by themselves and they go through it and they walk down the street and then we read that this angel suddenly leaves um, Peter and he snaps out of his trance and he realizes what has gone on. And so he decides to head straight to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. And in this house, there's a whole group of people, uh, disciples and followers of Jesus who are praying uh, ferociously for Peter's release. And so Peter comes to the door and knocks on the door and we assume he calls out enough to get their attention and a woman by the name of Rhoda comes to the door and he must say it's Peter or something along those lines and she's so surprised and shocked she recognises his voice that she leaves him standing at the door still knocking and runs back to the group of people that are praying. And so she goes back and says Peter's at the door and they're like well got to be joking you must be out of your mind it must be an angel or something it's you know that's ridiculous he can't be here you know we're praying for him to be released but he can't be released you know so 
But she insists. She insists that it's Peter. Meanwhile, Peter's still knocking at the door and still calling out. And eventually, they come to the door and they're astonished. Oh, Peter. And he motions for them to be quiet and he describes how he was brought out of prison and what happened and then he tells them to spread the news. And so, through this scenario, we we read about essentially two doors or two gates that were miraculously opened for Peter. The prison door and the prison gate. No effort required. He he just walks through. It's an out-and-out miracle. We have to read it as a miracle. But it kind of seems strange to me. It seems almost bizarre that God would free Peter from prison. The cell door would open. The prison gate would open. The guards completely transfixed or can't see him or whatever happens. I don't know how it works. But he then spends the rest of his evening knocking on another door. It's kind of like I had this internal narrative that I'm going to say it out loud and I'll feel really bad, but it's like, come on, God, you couldn't finish the job. It was like, you know, you did two, but you couldn't do the third one. He opens the prison doors, but then the seemingly easy door, Peter's just kind of left there knocking, waiting for Rhoda and, and the rest of the people to realise that it's him. And I kind of wonder why. Why? And the conclusion that I have to come to, or the conclusion that I have to draw, is that God could only open the first two doors, but people could open this door. And so that there are doors that only God can open. But there are lots of doors that he wants us to open. And I think sometimes we're waiting for doors to open We're waiting for God to open it, but we actually just need to to open the door. We just need to try it. We just need to turn the handle. We just need to call out. We just need to push that door because I think often the doors that we think require a miracle either just need our own effort and our willingness to step out of our discomfort or they need someone else who's human to open it for us. Either way, there's no great miracle of God required. Everyone's in the house praying. They're praying for Peter to be released. They're praying for a miracle. But the miracle's already there. He's knocking at the door. And they're still praying. And they can't believe that it's true. And I think that often it's the same for my life. That I'm waiting for God to do something. That he's brought me to a certain point, miracle upon miracle. But sometimes the miracle's just there waiting for me to kind of turn the handle and walk through the door. Uh, Often it's more about what God is preparing me for and wants to do kind of in and through me than it is about the miracle that needs to happen. And so, yes, we need to pray, absolutely. I'm not discounting the disciples and followers of Jesus praying in that instance. But I think that often that's not so much about petitioning God. It's not so much about treating God as a vending machine as it is about us kind of getting our hearts and our minds in line with the heart of Jesus and what he wants to do in and through us in any kind of given moment. And so in the course of any single day, I was thinking about it from my own life, that there are numerous doors of opportunity that I can choose to walk through or not. And some of them are really obvious kind of open door opportunities. My alarm will go off at 4 a.m. tomorrow morning so I can get on a plane and I have a choice to kind of walk through that door or not. 
I can get out of bed or not. I can uh, be really friendly and polite and engage with the, the air steward or, or stewardess or not. I can uh, encourage someone who's sitting next to me or not. Kind of really simple open door opportunity. Some, I think, require a bit more effort. Some are closed door opportunities that require me to knock or to call out or to kind of try the handle. And so, you know, I can attempt to call that person that's been on the back of my mind that I need to ask forgiveness from or not. I can uh, step out of my comfort zone and start a conversation with someone that I've never met or not. I can offer to help or not. I can go out of my way to, to love my neighbours or not. And so there are doors that are closed that I think we have the responsibility to open that isn't about waiting for God in this kind of miraculous moment. Jesus' statement to his disciples, which is essentially our vision statement as a community, the, the thing that he said that his disciples would be known by was not, not by how much they knew scripture or how uh, eloquent and uh, articulate they were at arguing theological points. It, it wasn't how well they preached. It wasn't how much uh, they excluded themselves from the... the the people that they saw as vastly more sinful as they were. It wasn't how many people they tried to convert. It wasn't even how good they were as people in themselves, but it was by their love, by their love. Jesus said, people will know that you are my disciples. And that's our vision statement that will be known by our love. It's a very different path. You know, I was reading somewhere recently that Jesus essentially offered a fifth way that uh, in his time he, um, he didn't follow the path of the ruling elite, the, the Sadducees, he didn't follow the path of the uh, religious elite who were the, uh, the Pharisees, he didn't take up the cause of the political radicals, the zealots, even though he had numbers of zealots who were following him. Uh, he didn't even join uh, the communal living, the, the world-denying Essenes. He walked a different path. He walked a path of love and, and a path of reconciliation and a path of renewal. And, and last week, uh, Kevin talked about the importance of the different modes of community, of scatter and gather and assemble. And, and I kind of went away from that thinking that assembly is really important because assembly is deliberate. And so when love turns up, when love assembles, then I think that its mere presence should kind of subvert and uh, challenge everything we do and every way that we live. And so Jesus doesn't just call us to love, he, he teaches us how to love. And, and more than teaches how to love, he embodies love. And even more than embodying love, he ultimately inhabits our lives such that we can and should be the incarnational presence of love in other people's lives. I absolutely believe this to be true. And yet, even though I know that we are called and taught and should embody love, the reality is, is that I frequently fall short and I frequently fail and I frequently judge people and I frequently choose not to open doors that I really know that I should open. But what I do know is that love opens doors. And it seems to me that there are a lot more doors that Jesus asks us to open ourselves than 
we often have the courage to turn the handle on. And I think that we can spend a lot of time asking God to open doors when Jesus in us and through us is actually urging us to step forth. And so, just to kind of wrap up, increasingly, I think that my challenge is not really in knowing which doors to try or not. It's not in kind of discerning which doors to walk through. I think that my challenge lies in having the courage and the compassion and the conviction to keep knocking and to keep trying and to keep turning the handle and to keep calling out. Um, my, my challenge is a battle against complacency and my challenge is a battle against prejudice and my challenge is a battle uh, against pride. My challenge is in continually putting Jesus first, putting people above my own comfort and embracing the risk of op uh, love opening doors. And so my prayer and my hope is that we would have the courage and the compassion and the conviction to keep knocking and to keep stepping through doors of opportunity and uh, in do this in such a way that, that we would be actually known by our love. And so the question that we need to keep asking is, what might that look like for us as a community? And so I caught up with Jeremy this week and um, he had this fantastic idea. Uh, so I've asked him to just come and share it with us before we get into the conversation. All right, so the other day Mandy and I were talking and talking about stuff that we could do as a church to you know, um, help the lowest and the least basically. And the, uh, the concept we were talking about was going, um, trying to find out needs. There are a lot of you through your networks and family members and other things like that and through the work you do yourself are really at the coal face. I'll admit I'm not. I get to work in a nice office with spreadsheets and the worst I have to deal with is, you know, uni students. Um, but trying to figure out the needs that are out there and how we as a community can connect with that. And just some practical concept of what I'm thinking, but this is as someone not connected to the needs. But the idea being that, for example, um, for foster care organisations, for docs and for DV services about organising um, care packages for new people who come into the services, just basic toiletries, maybe a couple of you know books for kids, the, the, the sort of general basic things that people might not have in a situation where they've needed to flee and have nothing with them. Um, that type of stuff, of those sort of basic needs of working out little things that we can get together and organise that will just make a difference for a person in that situation. Um, so the idea being that if I'm happy to spearhead organising this stuff, but if you have contacts or have ideas yourself that you want to talk about, Slack's the best way to get onto that or catch up with us on the services. Um, bring some of the ideas. I'll then organise getting some stuff. We'll work out a list of what we need. If there's a bunch of different places that would be useful, then that's great. We can do that. And then on a Sunday, we won't do a normal service. We'll just take over this room with boxes of stuff and piles of things go through and sort it, have some songs on in the background or something like that, maybe, you know, have some standard church things in the mix of it, but basically for a week just sort of turning it upside down going, okay, we're just going to do stuff to bless people. And so out of that need, I'll go and organise stuff and we can go from there. So really, if you have any ideas, let me know. You may already have some things going through your head, but if not, check with other people, get back to us and we'll get the ball rolling on this. 